0: Lights out, Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. And She will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city. You mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, Fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen... In purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off. And cried as they saw the smoke of her burning, what city was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the meal will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And The voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Father, we pray that you would open our understanding to your word. We know that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. A message that you tend to unveil and not to cover. But Lord, we pray for understanding from your spirit that our eyes and ears and minds and hearts would be open to the message of this book, to the message of chapter 18 this morning. We know it's one of the more difficult passages, but we just pray, God, that you would help us to see that which you want us to see. God, I pray that if there is even one here today who does not know Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation, that you would draw them to faith in the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. What a marvelous journey God takes us on through the book of Revelation. I think if I have one big regret, anytime you do a series of this length and you go across holidays and special events, and uh, you sort of put time out on the series and come back to it a couple of weeks later, uh, you lose some of seeing the big picture of what is happening here. And I think because of that, I want to spend a few moments today just recapping where we've been. You'll recall in Revelation chapter 1, John was given that vision of the glorified Christ. And what a different vision of Jesus he received there than what we see in the Gospels. In the Gospels, we see Jesus despised and mocked and rejected of men. And finally they crucified him. But in the book of Revelation, uh, that is not the image of Christ that John sees. But he sees rather the glorified Christ. As Christ is at the right hand of of the Father and coming back one day for his bride, the church. And so it's a different image of Christ that we see here. Now, in chapter 1, you'll remember how great that vision was. When John heard that voice and, and he turned to see this radiant one and it was none other than Christ. Christ revealed to John... That the book would be about the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that shall be. And so the majority of the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. Then in chapters 2 and 3, John is allowed to see messages that the Lord delivers to his churches. In chapter 4, John is called up to heaven. In chapters 4 and 5, he sees the activity of heaven, which is worship. Then in chapter 6 all the way down through chapter 19 we're told about all of the various judgments that come to the earth during the time of the tribulation. And interestingly enough from chapter 6 to 19 we don't hear mention of the church anymore. And that's led some scholars to believe that the church has already been raptured out and certainly we hope that's the case. Now, the judgments he sees are described in terms of seals that are broken, trumpets that are are blown, and bowls of wrath that are poured out. Now, without being exhaustive of all the ground we've covered, I do want to just remind you of some of these judgments that we've seen. We've seen the coming of the Antichrist, who will promise peace. But he brings war and bloodshed. We've seen famine and death that affects one-fourth of the world's population. A great earthquake and the sun being darkened and the moon becoming like blood and the stars of the sky falling. And Mountains and islands being moved out of their places. Great volcanic and and earthquake activity. One-third of the earth being burned up. One-third of the sea creatures dying. One third of all the fresh waters being poisoned. One third of the heavenly lights being darkened. Demons being released from the pit of hell to torment men for five months. Another one third of the earth's population killed by plagues. Loathsome and malignant sores upon those who have received the mark of the beast, the sea being turned to blood, the fresh waters being turned to blood, men scorched by the sun as the heat of the sun is intensified, and great darkness coming over the face of the earth after that. Staggering list of things to come. And that brings us back to where we jump in today. Chapters 17 and 18 are the wrapping up of the judgments of God right before He comes to establish His kingdom. And what we see in chapters 17 and 18 is the destruction of Babylon. Now people ask, what's Babylon? Babylon. Opinions divided over that Some say it's the ancient city of Babylon that will be rebuilt And will be the very nerve center of the kingdom of the Antichrist Others say it's a reference to Rome They claim that the old Roman Empire Which has continued to live on in western civilization Will be resurrected and more fully under the control of the Antichrist Others say that Babylon simply stands for the world wherever the nerve center of the Antichrist happens to be. And so Babylon could simply mean this present world system that is filled with humanism as opposed to seeking after God. Now folks, however you take the meaning of Babylon, the outcome is essentially the same It is mankind against God. It is mankind flexing his muscles against God and saying, God, we will have nothing to do with your rule over us. We're going to do what we want to do. Of course, Psalm 2 says God responds to that by he sits in the heavens and he laughs at the pride and rebellion of men and how men actually think that they can overcome God. Well, God has been judging the earth in chapters 17 and 18. He completes that judgment. We saw a couple of weeks ago, chapter 17, He destroys religious Babylon. Religious Babylon is that one world religion trying to mold all religions together under one system of tolerance and it's going to be destroyed. Now in chapter 18 we see the economic Babylon destroyed. During the time of the great tribulation as the Antichrist comes to the forefront of things nations are going to come together. There's going to be this one world or this global economy and all of this is going to take place under the Antichrist. Everybody's going to be forced to receive the mark of the beast and if anybody does not, they'll not be able to buy or sell or trade. Materialism is going to be just as rampant as it is today And after all these judgments on the earth The Antichrist is going to begin putting everything back together again He's going to be viewed as a great world leader But in the midst of it all, it's all going to come crashing down That's easy to understand how that happens You have all these natural disasters that God brings on the world and all these wars and famines and pestilence and and calamities as chapter 6 to 17 points out. The economies of the world would have to be affected. They come crashing down. Just think of what happened after 9-11 with just the airline industry and, and the stock market. But keep in mind this is something that will be global. It's going to be the direct judgment of God Folks it's interesting even now what we're witnessing in the most recent recession We see it's not just the U.S. it's all over Some economists have been talking about it for four or five years now In the U.S. the the treasury is continuing to print money and as it does so the stock market is stable right now doing well but the general opinion is you can't print money forever the dollar will end up absolutely worthless. So as soon as the treasury quits printing money some believe stock market's going to crash again. Sort of a catch 22. Keep printing it, dollar faces unprecedented inflation. Quit printing it, The economy collapses. Look at what's going on in Europe today. They're in a crisis there over not only debt but employment. In Greece, the unemployment rate among the younger generations in Greece is now more than 62%. Inflation rate. Spain's more than 56%. Portugal, 42%. Italy is at 40%. Staggering unemployment figures And then the debt crisis that they're facing And when they try to correct the debt situation They have rioting in the streets Well what we see here in Revelation 18 Is that the whole economy of the world Is going to fail John describes here what's going to happen Economically when God turns the lights out And it's the judgment of God because men have loved this world and the things of this world. They've loved money and materialism. And so God is striking at the very heart of what man has put his faith and trust in. What's man going to do when all that's destroyed? That's the revelation John is allowed to see. Look first with me the revelation in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, he says, the angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Folks, again, not hard to envision. Just think of what we've seen in the last hundred years. Uh, Black Monday, the stock market crashing. Some of you were little tykes when that happened. Again, just look at what's happened since 9-11. Imagine something that happens worldwide that affects everybody Not just one nation, not just one country or continent But it's global Some catastrophic event or series of events That affects the whole world That's what John is being shown here by this angel Some feel it's Jesus, I don't Jesus is not described in the word of God as an angel I think this is probably Gabriel or or Michael, a strong angel. And look at the message that he gives to John. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This world system is presented like a, 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 a queen that everybody went after. And everybody had relations with, and now she's dead, she's gone. And and everybody stands back and looks at Babylon, and they're astounded by what has happened. They can't believe what they're seeing. Most everybody in here remembers where you were in August of 1999. When breaking news came on that princes died, been killed in that car wreck in Paris. Most photographed woman in the world. And everybody was shocked. This great figure dead. Well, here John is seeing how this great figure, this world system that everybody has gone after. pictured here as this great queen that everybody's had relations with. All of a sudden, she's dead. She's gone. She's collapsed. And men are astonished. And then secondly, beginning in verse 2, John is told the reasons. First of all, she's become a den of demons. Folks, in in the world at the end of time, we're told that demonic activity is only going to increase. Jesus encountered demons in his earthly ministry. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we battle not simply against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw how the the bottomless pit was opened and and God unleashed all these demons on the face of the earth who were allowed to torment men for five months. Man has followed Satan's schemes. Man has opposed God and followed Satan. And so here what we see God doing is saying, okay, I'm going to let you have a taste of Satan and his demons. And so he unleashes this on the earth. And then he says she's filled with immorality there in verse 3. It's surely a picture of the world even today. We can take it both literally and symbolically. Literally, if he's talking about immorality here, just think of how sex today is used to sell everything. I mean, pornography is big business these days in the U.S. alone. Sadly one of our main industries in America I mean we think of companies like Exxon and Apple and all that But one of the main businesses in America today sadly is pornography Billions and billions and billions of dollars are made on that In verse 3 It's described that the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Of course, it might be being used here symbolically. It might be being used to speak of men's idolatry. Instead of being married to Jehovah God, man has carried on with different lovers all of the materialism of the world. But whether literal or symbolic, the important thing to see here is that God is going to judge it all. It's going to fall. It's going to collapse. In verse 5 he says, her sins here are stacked as high as the heavens. Interesting words being used here. It might be a veiled reference to the Tower of Babel, how men back then in Genesis 11 thought they were going to build this tower reaching all the way up to the heavens. But God confused their language and scattered them. And the word he plays off of here is the only thing being stacked up to heaven is men's sins. Men think they're getting smarter and smarter and they're doing this and that. Boy, mankind today thinks, hey, we're able to do anything, even reach the very heavens. And God says here, no, the only thing reaching the heaven is your sins, one being stacked upon another. Then in verse 7, another reason given for this collapse is the pride and the arrogance. What John is allowed to see here is men, generation after generation and century after century have opposed God and and gone their own way in their pride and their arrogance. Somehow believing that we don't need God, we don't need each other. Every man out for himself, doing whatever he wants to do. No accountability, pride, arrogance. And because men have lived this way, Instead of in humility and dependence on God, God's gonna bring it all crashing down. And then look what we see in verse 4, the removal. In verse 4, John says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high. As heaven and God has remembered her iniquities God orders his people who are around during this time To remove themselves from all this corruption You say well who are these people that he's talking about If the church has been raptured out It's all those tribulation saints that have come to faith in Jesus Christ And God's given them a warning To come out from the corruption of the world and to flee while there's still time. It's a a wonderful commentary on 1 John 2.15 where the Bible says, Love not the world nor the things of the world. If you love the world and the things of the world, John says in 1 John 2, the love of the Father is not in you. And he reminds us that everything that's in the world is passing away. It's fading away. And so God says to his people here, don't be a part of the corruption that you see going on all around you in the world. You know, it's just like the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, that we need to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. The Bible says we're to be holy even as God is holy. Through all generations, including this last generation... Mankind is being challenged that that for believers there is to be something different about our lives. As people look at us, they're to see Jesus if we're in Christ. There ought to be a difference between us and the man or the woman in the world. We ought to be living for higher purposes than the man of the world is living for. The man of the the world is living for everything that he can see and hear and touch... Everything that he can accumulate for himself But he's being told here that all of this is going to come collapsing down one day And so we need to come out from this corruption And we need to be salt and light in this culture Jesus said we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know what salt does? It preserve, in ancient times when they didn't have refrigerators, it would preserve from corruption and decay and it would also add flavor and that is how we are to be in society. But Jesus said, woe to the salt. If it loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing anymore except to be cast out and trodden underfoot by men. Sadly, too many allow their lives to blend in with all that's in the world and the world doesn't see any difference. But what God is saying here, no, come out from the world and be different and distinct as God's people. How much is your life a witness? How much is your life different? Are you an ambassador for Christ? If anybody accused you of being a Christian, would there be any evidence to indict you? Are you a witness? Are you different from the world? Are you too much like the world? God is saying to his people here, remove yourselves from the way this world system is. Be different. Then fourthly, we see the retribution. And beginning in verse 6, John says, John is told, Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. There's the severity of the destruction. She's given double punishment for her evil deeds. This is the vengeance of God being carried out. In verse 7 it says, he says, she's only being repaid according to her sins. You know, you and I can't take vengeance, but God takes vengeance. And what we see here is the law of the harvest. Remember Galatians 6, 7? The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to of the Spirit reap eternal life. The law of the harvest. You know what the law of the harvest is? The law of the harvest is you reap exactly what you sow. You don't sow beans and reap corn. You sow beans and reap a harvest. You sow beans and reap a harvest of beans. You reap exactly what you sow, and and she is reaping what she has sown. You reap more than you sow. You plant a tomato plant, you don't expect to just get one tomato off of that vine, but a whole bunch. You reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. Farmers don't put their seed in the ground this morning and think by the afternoon or nightfall they're gonna have a crop. You reap later than you sow. The law of the harvest. People sow, what's being told here, people sow to the wind with a, with a life of sin and, and they think they've gotten away with it But God reminds us just like the farmer who has to wait patiently for his crop to come in Whatever we've sown in our life we're going to reap one day Just because we don't see the consequences of sin today Doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences And so what John is allowed to see here Is the earth reaping exactly what the earth has sown? As people and nations go about doing whatever they want to do. And not seeing the consequences of their deeds or actions immediately. And they think, hey, we're home free. No, not at all. John is told here about God's vengeance. Look at the suddenness of the destruction in verse 8 and, and and uh other selected verses in the text how how John sees all of this destruction coming in 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 one hour Fire comes from heaven and consumes the city in a single moment. As people are going about their life, sudden destruction happens. Here again, John's describing the global economic collapse, but it's just like Jesus spoke of with human life when he returns. He said, two will be plowing in a field, one taken and the other left. The point is, when all these things begin to happen, they'll happen so quickly, so suddenly that there'll not be time to go and get right with the Lord then. Men think they have all the time in the world. And we don't. The Bible reminds us that life is but a vapor. Destruction comes suddenly... Folks, we need to see that there is no security in this world itself whatsoever. Whether it's life itself, whether it's the wealth of nations, one day God is going to swiftly bring it all to an end and there'll be no remedy. And imagine those who stand before God in that day and their life has all been invested And only the things of the world And they have nothing to show for their life How sad But that's what John sees here Fifthly, I want you to notice the reaction. Beginning in verse 9, it says, The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. When they see the smoke of her burning, they'll stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Folks, there's great remorse by the unsaved. Great remorse by the unsaved. The merchants of the world crowd, alas, alas, and look, look at what they crowd. In verse 11, he begins pointing out that there's nobody else left to buy their goods and they mourn. And all the way down through verse 19 here, John sees them weeping and mourning because everything they've trusted in is gone. In verse 12, all these various things are listed, whether gold or jewels or land or or cattle. What John is being allowed to see here is not just one segment of the economy collapses, but every segment collapses, and again, global, all over the world. Everything comes crashing down. Imagine lost man who's put all his eggs in one basket, the wrong basket, the basket of the world. And now, standing before God in judgment, he has nothing, absolutely nothing left, nothing. Everything he's ever lived for is gone. Well, not only great remorse by the, un, by the unsaved, but great rejoicing by the saved. In verse 20, he says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. God tells the redeemed of the Lord to, to rejoice because their redemption draweth nigh. The world has despised them and mocked their faith and tried to silence them. But God has great things in store for his children. Great reward. And what John is being told here, all of this in the world is about to fade away. God's kingdom is about to come at this point. Jesus is about to establish his kingdom. And so he's saying to the saints, rejoice. Oh, if you could only see with your eyes what God has waiting for you. And what we see here is the great reversals that we often find in the scripture. The last will be first. The first last. And Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who mourn now, for they will be comforted. He said, woe to those who are just rejoicing now and laughing and going about their life according to their own business because one day they're going to be crying and mourning in great sadness but those who are mourning now over their sins and getting right with God they're mourning over their sins and mourning over their lot lot in life and and the persecution they receive from the hands of the world they've got a great day of rejoicing coming because God's got great things in store for them. You know, folks, today it's not that uncommon for somebody to think that a young person who's bright, maybe the star pupil in their class, they announce they're going to the mission field. Somebody might think, what a a waste. I thought he was going to be a great doctor or lawyer or educator or something like that. What a waste. Folks, not a waste at all. The waste is the man who lives for everything in this world and ends up bankrupt. Spiritually, morally bankrupt, bankrupt in every way. Look at the results that began in verse 21. Then the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more and the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more and the sound of the meal will be heard in you no more and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more you see what's happening here no music, no industry, no light, no joyous weddings what's John describing taking place here he he is describing the whole earth kind of coming to a standstill when all these things happen again I think of 9-11 how the airline industry just came to a standstill After Katrina's or Sandy's, how things come to a standstill. Can you imagine all of these catastrophes happening all over the globe? Everything just sort of grinds to a halt. That's what John sees. Everything. Now folks, this is not science fiction that John is talking about here This is the revelation from Jesus Christ that Jesus gave John to show to his saints. And it's all going to come to pass, just like he said. I think of that statue in the book of Daniel. All the kingdoms of the world being described in that statue. And then that great mountain comes and smashes them all to dust. The kingdom of Christ that destroys all the kingdoms of the world. That's what John is seeing here in Revelation 18. Again, what a powerful commentary on 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, nor the things of the world. I want to give you three quick lessons in closing. Lesson number one. Christians are not told here to forget about all their responsibilities in the world. Folks, the Bible tells us that while we are here, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We will do The unsaved, no good if we simply remove ourselves from everything in the world. We're to work for the best schools, for the best businesses, the best homes, the best governments. Where did anybody ever get this crazy notion that Christians don't even ever need to be involved in politics of any type? What? You just want to turn over the management of the world to unbelievers? The Bible says we're to be involved in all stages of life while we're here. But we just realize that while we're here, we might not, we're not, we're in the world, we're just not to be of the world. We have a different kingdom that we're looking forward to. Second lesson, this world is passing away. Folks, if you are investing everything you are and everything you have in this world, you need to feel sorry for yourself over that and you need to repent. This world is not your home. It's not my home. This world is not our permanent place. This world is passing away. Too many are trying to invest in the things of the world and they're not even giving God a second thought. And again, one day, everything they've spent their time and energy and resources and talents on is going to be for naught. How sad. That brings us to our third lesson. Don't waste your life. What are you doing with your life? Life is a precious gift. Where are you investing your time and resources and talents? Don't only have eyes for that which is visible, what is seen. If so, you're going to lose everything. And in the meantime, you'll be wasting your life away on what will not last. Folks, the Bible tells us to see the invisible, the unseen, and invest there. Remember what Jesus said about that? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't waste your life. God's got a perfect will for your life and my life. God's got a mission and a ministry for you and me. He's got work for us to do, and we need to invest ourselves first and foremost In what God wants to do around us and in and through us. That's a life well lived. To be able to get to the end of life like Paul said. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And in the future there's laid up for me this great inheritance. Live that way. Don't waste your life. And I would say to these precious young people at at their age, right now, get in the habit of every day surrendering your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Mamas and daddies might have a plan for you. Teachers might have a plan for you. Business leaders might have a plan for you. But always remember, God's got a plan for you. When God turns out the lights on the world, what state are you going to be in? What state are you going to be in? Do you need to come to Christ today if you don't know Him, if you've never been born again? You've never been transformed from the inside out by the Spirit of the living God. Oh, you might have religion and joined a church. You've gone through all those steps, but you've never been transformed. You've never been born again. Isn't it time that you ask God to convert your soul? As a believer, live with the right focus. It may be right now that you would admit, you know, Lord, it's easy to go astray in this world, and I've allowed my life to get off focus. And I need to have you this morning to redirect my focus. Would you stand please? As you do, our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens. If you need Christ in your life, come forward. I want to pray with you about that. Others here that will pray with you. Maybe you just want to come to this altar and say, God, my life has gotten off focus. My life has become too much a part of this world. And I see here in Revelation 18 that you're going to bring everything in this world crashing down. Lord, help my life to not be about this world, but about you. If you need a church home, you come forward and make your wishes known. You know, everything we read about, about God's work in the New Testament, We see the people of God joining together in a church family and carrying out their ministry to one another and mission to the world through a church family. You need a church home where you can worship and serve.